Welcome to Mind the Owner's Manual. I'm your host, Lawrence Castilla. This podcast is dedicated to shedding light on the topic of meditation. Please visit the website mindtheownersmanual.com for further information about this podcast or if you're interested in starting a meditation practice. Joining me today is George Boyd, the founder of the Mudra Ashram Institute of Spiritual Studies. George is a master meditation teacher, a prolific author who has published more than 20 books, and he is an innovator in the field of meditation. Today, George and I are going to explore the topic of Vipassana, also known as Mindfulness Meditation. In 1987, George began teaching an innovative approach to mindfulness meditation by combining the principles and techniques of Vipassana with Raja Yoga. I attended George's weekly Raja Vipassana classes for over a year, and later I ran a weekly group that practiced these techniques. Vipassana meditation, also known as mindfulness meditation, is probably the style of meditation that most people first encounter in the West. Vipassana translates as insight or clear seeing and is said to have been originated by the Buddha 2,500 years ago. Uh, Vipassana has been embraced by psychologists and other professions as a means for stress reduction, relaxation, in generating detachment or space from one's emotional and mental issues. During this podcast, I'm, I'm going to use the words vipassana and mindfulness interchangeably. Um, I think the primary reason that mindfulness meditation has been embraced so widely here in the West is not due to its ease of use or its effectiveness, but rather because Western culture places such an emphasis on the mind in thinking. This made the adoption of Vipassana as a technique a better fit for Western culture than, let's say, praying to a goddess or chanting a mantra. In a similar way to how Zen Buddhism was admired because the public perception was that a monk thinks about a koan or thought puzzle, solves it, and achieves enlightenment, Vipassana meditation was embraced because it had a strong mental focus. The West is very mind-focused. Other cultures may define themselves in relation to their family or maybe their vocation. In the West, we value intellect. We value independence of thought. We value innovation, which is seen as a result of mental activity. Uh, The French philosopher Descartes made famous the phrase, I think, therefore I am, meaning... The ability to use the mind is what proves my existence. I actually think the modern sensibility can be better phrased as, you are what you think. And I think we see this especially in modern social media, where the trend is to try to sum up a person completely based on their thoughts or their opinions. That being said, mindfulness meditation is often described as a way to transcend thought. A popular belief is that to experience what's called the power of now or to be here now, 
You must get past distracting thoughts to arrive at a space that is more real. Vipassana meditation is often described as a technique that allows you to be in the moment or to realize the power of now. Similarly, Vipassana is also said to help calm the emotions, to reduce overreacting to events in our lives and to generate detachment from outcome and objectivity to events. So I think before going into the details of what Vipassana is, the actual technique or techniques, I think it's actually better to start with a clear understanding of why you should practice Vipassana. So that leads me to my first question. George, why do you teach Vipassana? Well, Vipassana we subsume under what we call centering methods. And it is a way to use a present time focus to process through the issues that you're carrying within your body and to transcend them and to move into the state of being, which is at the core of the personality, a state of peacefulness, a state of centeredness, a state of, I want to say, a state of oneness with the environment. Many people cultivate this state because it is essentially stress-free. So we teach it as part of several different methods that we use to gain union with the self at the center of the personality and also the step beyond it, the state of being, which is also one step beyond the self at the nucleus of the personality. Now, Vipassana has many, many forms, many different ways that it is done. So, for example, you can do a body scan at the waking state of consciousness and notice what you're experiencing in that state. You can do a walking meditation, which activates your movement awareness center. You can do a sensory vipassana where you're you have heightened awareness of each of your senses you can do a physical vipassana where you're meditating on what's arising within the physical body you can do an emotional vipassana where you can monitor your emotions as they're arising and ultimately transcend them you can do a mental vipassana where you're monitoring your thoughts and ultimately coming to a place where you transcend your thoughts. You can monitor the different I am statements of the ego, and this brings you to the state of transcending the ego. So there's a variety of methods by which people can approach Vipassana. Many people also use simply watching the breath and being mindful of the breath in the present time. This is a way that people gain a sense of being centered, a sense of being present. And so these are some of the, I want to say, some of the different ways that Vipassana can be used. Okay, so you talked about that you use it as a centering technique to unite the attention with the self, the center of the personality. And you started by saying that, that it can, I think you said, overcome issues in the physical body. So what are the issues that you're finding in the physical body that are overcome uh, that need to be overcome in order to achieve center to achieve a centering? Okay. Well, when you are doing vipassana, you are aware of what is arising in the present time. And as you pay attention to this process, you start processing a variety of feelings that are arising in the physical body. 
pain in the shoulder, you know, tickle on the nose, whatever it is, and you keep processing those. On a certain point, you have a breakthrough experience, and then you jump up into a higher level of awareness. So it's a way of creating a breakthrough experience. And by doing that, you move into a state of peace, a state which you're transcending the sensations that you're having within your body. Now, if you do the same thing at the level of feelings, you're going to work with your the issues of your feelings. If you do the same thing at the level of your mind, you're going to see the things that you're you're thinking about. What you're, you know, what are the focus of your of your thinking, and eventually transcending that into a state of greater awareness and peace. So basically feelings and sensations are obstacles. Well, they're not obstacles per se, but if your objective is you want to get out of the conscious mind, then you have to somehow find a way to transcend what is occurring in the conscious mind. Many meditators start to go into meditation. They see, oh, you know, all the things I'm thinking about, and they can't get beyond that. Vipassana is one method which which has been developed to help you transcend the thought processes that are going on and reach a higher state of consciousness. So everyone kind of experiences things that are that they can't necessarily get past. Someone ripped you off, you know, or you have an issue with, you know, your partner leaving you for reasons that you can't fathom. And the emotion just resonates and resonates and resonates, and it doesn't seem like something you can get past. I suppose similarly, you could say there's even physical sensations. I mean, obviously more likely if you've experienced some type of trauma, maybe you have, you know, persistent neck issues, for example. So you're sitting down and, you know, you're going to be very focused on that discomfort. And then even further than that in therapy, when people say, you know, why can't you do this? You know, you go into a therapist, you have a specific goal in mind, not able to quite to do that activity, get to that level you know, get past your fear of driving or whatever the issue is. And then you dig into that issue. And then all of a sudden the trauma of being in the car accident when you were eight years old and, you know, a family member dying or whatever the issue is, all of a sudden that comes up. And then, so whatever the phenomena is that comes up that stands in the way is Vipassana like we may use body work to get past physical issues. We may use therapy to help us overcome emotional issues. Is Vipassana another one of those tools or techniques that's actually helping to overcome an issue and put it behind us? Well, Vipassana has a strength of enabling you to process things, to pay full attention to them and allow them to arise and then pass away. So if you're having an issue with the trauma, you fully experience it. You remain fully connected with it, fully present with it. And you allow it to be there. You fully experience it. You allow it to complete. You let it go. You release it. And as a process of doing that, sometimes you gain insight into it. Well, what is this about? But as you do this successively for each layer, whatever is going on with you, eventually you, you break through and you transcend. Now, will it make the issue ultimately disappear? Well, not in all cases, but you will transcend it. You know, maybe you'll come back to it when you're not in a state of meditation. You come back, you notice it's come up again. 
well, you're going to look at it again. You need to look at it until finally you understand, you know, what is the, what is the key that unlocks this lock? And once you do that, then you finish that issue. Now, in Buddhism, Vipassana is looked as a primary technique to allow one to achieve nirvana, which they call the cessation of phenomena. So I assume that these thoughts, these feelings, these sensations in the body, are these the phenomena that they're talking about? Are they talking about even deeper levels where phenomena arise from? Okay. So let's think about the layers or levels of Vipassana. The first layer is you're processing something in your conscious mind. And this is the most typical type. This is what a therapist does. This is what a lot of mindfulness teachers do. They teach you how to process the issues in your conscious mind to settle down. Now, if you break through, typically the next stage you reach is you reach the state of the voidness of being at the center of the personality. Now, as you continue the process of working with any issues that are arising really behind the self, any deep issues, you lift up into what we call the wave of the present time. Now, a lot of the people who talk about the power of now are basically referring to this wave of the present time that dwells in the abstract mind plane. And at this level, you are aware of the soul's thoughts and intentions coming into your human life. And at this level, you're able to begin to work with the issues directly and dissolve them. Now, if you finish this process, typically you'll lift up into the consciousness of what we call the soul the higher self, and you become aware that at that level, you are, you have a present time experience. If you finish that level, then you jump up into the seed atom on the super cosmic path where they practice Vipassana. And their primary method of transformation is then focusing at that point and working through each of the issues that are behind that seed atom, and that eventually leads that seed atom all the way across the track to the great void of nirvana. So those are the layers of Vipassana. And it is possible to monitor the present time at many different levels of the psyche. In the late 1980s, uh, we developed a meditation system called Raja Vipassana which is where you focus your mind at a particular level. And then you pay attention to what is arising in the present time. So use the focusing method to select a place where you're going to monitor the present time. And then you monitor the present time using the classical Vipassana method. So you mentioned the first step as moving into the voidness of being. Did you say that was behind the self? Yes, it's, you might say that being is the passive aspect of the personality. So the self is the active executive driver of everything that you do. But on the other side of that is the peaceful part of you, the part of you that allows you to just be a sense of being one with the environment a sense of just 
being in a state of peace. And that is the counterpart of the active self. So you have both aspects in your nature. So you just can't be doing and acting all the time. You've got to have some time for rest, relaxation, getting in touch with peace. And so a variety of meditation approaches have targeted this pool of peace, as it were, inside of people as a place of gaining some release from the stress that they're experiencing. And we teach this as part of our centering methods. I think that's a really fascinating point you just brought up. And the way you're looking at this, the self seems very holistic and very integrated. And I think a lot of times people, when they don't necessarily understand something, they look at one is bad and one is good. One is white, one is black. And they're opposite sides of the coin. Because a lot of the people who talk about the power of now, be here now, they talk about that is the good, and then they don't talk about the good of having an active self that can be productive, that can do things, and that's a really important part of our lives. So we have active, and then we have being or passive, and obviously they're, they're harmonious. You can't have one without the other in a sense, but you shouldn't call one bad and, and one good necessarily, I think it's better to understand that they both have a place because you're not abandoning the self when you move into that voidness of being that's behind the active self. It's just another aspect of the self. Yes, it is. It is an aspect of the self, but it's closer to the idea in Buddhism of no self. So they don't focus on the self. They focus on being. You know, so there's no sense of self there. You're just one with everything around you. You know, it seems like actions arise of themselves. So they speak about something in Taoism that they call Wu Wei, which means that action occurs of itself. There's no doer. It just happens. So in the state of being, it seems like things just happen. It's a state in which you experience peace. You know, you're not... You're not stressed out about anything. You basically have let go of everything and you're just in a state of peace. And this is very regenerative. So when we're in an, when we're actively encountering stress, we're often using our sympathetic aspect of our autonomic nervous system, which is creating the stress hormones and everything like that. But when we move into a state of being and a state of peace, we turn that off and we begin operating on what's called the parasympathetic nervous system. And that's regenerative. It helps the body, you know, reestablish its homeostasis, its state of calmness and peace and regular harmony. So it's important that we have a time in which we're not simply going all the time, but we have to have a time of letting go of that and release. And that's where the entering the state of being comes in. You touched on that you developed the Raja Vipassana system. And I do want to get into that in depth. But describe the techniques or the process by one would get to this state of behind the self, the state of no self, the state of being. 
what would be the the most common way that uh, someone would use Vipassana to get to that state of no self? And is actually that the ultimate goal of some practitioners of Vipassana? Are they stopping there, mission accomplished, success, and there's really nothing higher that they're trying to accomplish? So guide me through how they get to that point. And for some people, is that the is at the end of the journey. Okay. Um, well, there are a variety of methods by which you can get to the state of being. You can put your attention in it. You can breathe into it. You can work through the issues in your physical body and get to it. Uh, you can look at the space between two thoughts. So there's a variety of methods of going into the state of being. Now, some people simply want to have a little bit of peace and they're not looking for transcendence. They're not looking to transcend the personality. They simply want to be in their lives and they just want to experience greater peace and harmony, you know, not experiencing so much stress and so much, so many difficulties in their lives. I'm often reminded of the movie the Lion King, and they have this song in there called Hakuna Matata, right? Everything is okay, right? Everything is good. Just go with the flow. So this is when you enter the state of being, you're in the flow. So there's a variety of methods by which people achieve this, but it's simply a matter of knowing where it is on the scale of, of the different uh, what we call the vehicles of consciousness, the different focal points within the conscious, subconscious, metaconscious mind. And in our introduction to meditation program, we specifically teach methods to get you in touch with this voidness of being inside yourself. And once you experience this, once you experience this peace that's always inside of you, you know, you can go here, if you know how to do it, you can go here and just be in that state of peace and you can let go of some of the stress you're carrying. As a note to listeners, I want to remind you that if you are interested in learning more about meditation and the topics discussed in the Mind the Owner's Manual podcast, please visit the website mindtheownersmanual.com for additional information, including articles, videos, and unpublished podcasts. Now back to the interview. A lot of people talk about a moment when they surrender as a pivotal moment in their lives where something happens and they surrender. Now, uh, I'm going to bring this down to something kind of mundane, I guess, but I used to get a lot of polarity body work um, from my friend James in Los Angeles. And of course, in different body work styles, they hold points. Anyway, one of James's uh, little techniques was he had a way of working the Achilles tendon that would basically drive you crazy. <laughs> I'd be lying at the table and he's just kind of, he knows that, that the way he's working that tendon, it's like... Um, at some point, you're going to have to give in to just relaxation. Pain, yes, but it's even more than that. It's like 
it, it's like uh, almost like nails on chalkboard, I guess you want, might want to say. And at some point, the body relaxes and you surrender and you all of a sudden you're like, okay, I, I don't want to think about anything. I'm just going to, thought is going to stop. Everything's going to stop. I'm just going to, I'm just going to surrender. And you kind of go into this peaceful place. When that type of surrendering is happening, are people moving into this state of being? Are they moving into non-self? Well, perhaps in some cases that's true. We often say that there is a window between the thoughts in which you can be present as your attention and witnessing. And that doesn't necessarily mean that your attention is united with this pool of peace, this state of being. So we need to make a distinction between a sense of, instead of being aware of the activity of the mind, versus slipping into the state where you are present as the attention and you're simply witnessing the activity of the mind. And that is a a distinction that each person who learns to meditate needs to make so that you are aware that you are the attention observing the content of the mind as opposed to simply being the content of the mind going on. And so once you slip out of that active state of turmoil and you move into the state of reflective observing presence, then you gain a certain amount of greater clarity. You gain a certain amount of greater insight and you also gain a certain detachment from the content that's going on. So if you reach this state of inner presence and witnessing, then you can detach from what you're experiencing going on around you. And, and I think that a lot of the Vipassana teachers um, try to cultivate this state so that you're not immediately reacting to everything, that you can kind of just witness it and watch it. Instead of being the actor in the movie, you're the person watching the movie. So you talked about different kind of plateaus of experience that Vipassana can lead you to. I'd like you to go through that ladder again, but with some context. So in my research on Vipassana, uh, I found that there were a number of additional techniques that were added over the centuries and which became part of the practice of Vipassana. And these new techniques mainly changed the object of focus uh, for meditation, including meditating on all phases of decomposition of a corpse, meditating on infinite nothingness, meditating on uh, great compassion, meditating on what is infinite consciousness, Anyway, there's a whole bunch of these. Some of these objects of focus seems like they're chosen to bring up a, re a reaction from the unconscious mind, such as fear of death, fear of the unknown, fear of non-existence. And you're then meant to process through that emotion. So is that what is happening by meditating on death and nothingness? Uh, or, or is there something else going on and why do you think these additional practices were added to the canon of Vipassana over time? Was it to get to higher levels of consciousness on the ladder that you were describing? 
Well, if you think about the seed atom, what we call the supercosmic seed atom that dwells upon this track that leads to the state of nirvana, which is known in Vipassana, a seed atom is a state of identification that one has on a supercosmic path. And in our writings, we describe centers that are called nuclei of identity. These are states, these are essences in the superconscious mind with which people come to identify. And so in many supercosmic paths, they have a variety of procedures or initiations by which they bring people up to union with that seed atom upon their path. And as you begin the process of contemplating, as you move into what is arising at the different level, there are different levels within that. So one level along that track is meditating on death. Another level might be meditating on the great void, what, what corresponds to what the Hindus call the um, Nirbhikalpa Samadhi, or the or we call it Shanti Desh, the place of great peace. So as you move along this track, you come into these particular perspectives where you are processing and meditating on great archetypes or divine ideas that are present along this track and are, in many cases, are somewhat unique to this track. Uh, that you don't, when you go on another supercosmic path, you're not going to get these same ideas. You're not going to get these same archety archetypes. But these are all parts of that fifth order of Vipassana, which is when you're actually doing Vipassana at the level of the seed atom upon the path. But you have to break through into that. So you have to move through one level, detach from it, and then move through that level, detach from it. And then ultimately you get up to the state where you can do these more advanced meditations that are described in these texts. What are the five orders of Vipassana? Okay. okay. The first order of Vipassana is simply processing of the level of the conscious mind. When you finish that, typically what happens is then you reach the state of being. Now, the next level is you begin process, even processing at that level, watching what's coming into the voidness of consciousness, and eventually you jump up into the wave of consciousness. The wave of consciousness in the present time is where you become aware of the thoughts and intentions of the what we call the soul in the West coming into your human life. So it inter it's a place where the soul interfaces with your human life in the present time. And then as you work through that, then you discover the soul, which is the one who is originating those thoughts. And as you process at that level, you transcend the soul and then you move up into union with this seed atom on a, uh, on the Vipassana Buddhist path. So I have number one is processing at the order of the conscious mind. 
which results in arriving at the state of being. Number two, void, you meditate on the voidness of consciousness. You arrive at the wave of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And number three, you said something about the soul. Is that the third state? Yeah, well, the soul is actually the fourth state. The first stage is when you're just simply processing stuff at the level of the conscious mind. Second stage is when you reach the voidness of consciousness. Third stage is the wave of consciousness on the abstract mind plane. Fourth stage is soul. Fifth stage is uniting with the seed atom on the Vipassana path, where you're capable of doing those deeper meditations that you described. What did you call the third state of soul? You had a phrase for that? Okay, so first stage is conscious mind. Second stage is voidness of being. Third stage is the wave of consciousness on on the the wave of the present time. That's at the astro. That's at the abstract mind. That's correct. Then the next is the consciousness of the soul itself and the soul's experience. Then, as you move beyond that, you let go of that. Then you jump up into the union with the seed atom so this is where the buddhists come up with the idea that there is no self because you move into the voidness of being and there is no soul because you transcend the soul and you realize that that's part of the part of the phenomena of the mind the the samsara the the phenomena of creation but it isn't has no essential reality what level is that at well, you when you reach that stage of realizing that, okay, there's no self, there's no soul, at that level, you're in union with this seed atom on the supercosmic path. Oh, I see. Okay. So basically, they're transcending the soul, and then they decide that there is no soul because they've moved above it, basically. Yeah, that's right. It's just part of its phenomenon. It's not anything that's, no, there's no inherent reality to it. Uh-huh. That's a very confusing um, thing to describe to people. I mean, it's kind of a, it's a map with some huge missing pieces. They're like making huge leaps, basically, with um, not describing the territory beneath it. But I guess this is the, this is the, um, this is the experience that is uh, a result of uh, practicing Vipassana at the deepest levels. Well, the issue is that you're disidentifying with each level that you let go of. So you disidentify with the phenomena of the conscious mind and you discover being. You disidentify with being and then you discover that that there is a creative process taking place in the higher mind that is essentially creating the phenomena of human life. And then when you discover where that energy is coming from, you discover that's being projected from some higher level. And then you even transcend that, then you discover this seed atom on the Buddhist path. Now, I want to say that in many traditions, they bypass conscious mind, metaconscious mind, superconscious mind, soul altogether, and they simply focus you on the seat out of their path. And then they say, now you've begun the way. And they just tend to, as you say, skip over the material at those other levels. They don't consider them important. 
So you see the same thing happening in transcendental paths. So for example, you have to bring your attention all the way up to the beginning of a transcendental path to begin their path and you unite with the spirit, you identify with that, and then you regard everything else as being part of the world of mind that is veiling the the presence of the spirit. So it's kind of a similar idea that you get above the illusion or the samsara and you identify with the true essence, which in the Vipassana path is their super cosmic seed atom. And that basically is almost the end of the journey. The end of the journey being when they complete their super cosmic path and then they can choose to liberate that path, I guess, from their point of view, achieve liberation. Yes. Well, liberation from the standpoint of that seed atom is basically clearing all of the material that's on that track until ultimately you reach your origin or your source. And then you experience the the great limitless void that is um, the presence of what they call nirvana. It's the, what they call nirvana. Without necessarily seeing that um, there's actually yet further vistas beyond that up at the transcendental levels of the superconscious mind. Yes. Well, again, when you go to a teacher, you go to a chemistry teacher, the chemistry teacher is going to teach you chemistry. Okay. They're not going to teach you English. They're not going to teach you aeronautical engineering. They're going to teach you chemistry. So in the same way, a teacher has gained enlightenment on the Vipassana path. He's not going to teach you about the transcendental. He's not going to teach you about the planetary. He's not going to teach you about the transplanetary. He's not going to teach you about the subtle. He's going to teach you about that path. And so their job is to get you completed, just like a professor's job is to get you through the class give you all the instruction, test you, make sure you know your stuff, and then ultimately to pass the class and graduate. It's a similar idea, but it's done at a, it's done on a higher order. Right. Now, if we broke basic Vipassana down, we would say that step one is to focus the attention in the present time. Step two is to observe and maybe label the contents of awareness. Step three, uh, gain detachment or to disidentify from the contents of, of awareness. And maybe step four, viewing the contents of awareness as basically an ongoing process that is, you know, something other than the state of being, you know, that, you've, that you now inhabit. Are those the four basic steps of Vipassana? Um, yeah, well, you first pick an object of meditation. Where are you going to meditate? I'm going to watch, I'm going to watch myself walking, or I'm going to focus on my breath in the present time, or I'm going to focus on the sensations in my body. And then you're simply noticing them as they arise. And to gain a little bit more detachment, discernment, you can label them pain in my shoulder, stiffness in my neck. And you're basically noticing what it is as it comes up, passes, and then a new thing comes up. This is where the idea of impermanence 
comes from and the idea that everything is always changing. You're like, you're standing in a river and everything is moving all the time. And then at a certain point, then as you process this material, you're actually moving through it. You're moving to a deeper layer, a deeper level. And eventually there's a state when you have a state of transcendence of that and you move to a deeper state of the mind. So this is the way that uh, we view the Vipassana process. So there's, so there certainly is a detachment that takes place. You're not, you, you've not, you're no longer identified with the thinking process, but you're watching the thinking process. So you're no longer identified with the sensation process. You're watching the sensations. Okay. And remember, Vipassana translates as insight or clear seeing. That kind of suggests that at some point, uh, you're going to be able to arrive at a state of consciousness that provides insight or clarity. So if we start with the state of mind, let's say someone who's experiencing extreme depression hears about Vipassana. So they start doing Vipassana. What's going to come up for them? I'm so depressed. I'm so depressed. I can't pay my bills. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Whatever the source of the depression is, you know, I lost this, you know, I don't have that. Depression, 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 label the depression. At some point, hopefully they're going to break through and get to that state of being that we've talked about or no self. Are they actually going to have clear seeing or insight at that point? Is there actually going to be something that comes from a deeper part of themselves, a more resourceful part of themselves is that, that's going to be able to positively impact their situation? Not just positively impact, but change, maybe change, dramatically change with that word, insight, with clear seeing. The insight process comes by you being able to observe the layers of your depression. You clearly see that, yes, these particular thoughts and beliefs are giving rise to these particular reactions that I'm having. I'm remembering this, I'm crying. I notice that those are related. So that's that insight process. And you go through all the layers that make up that depression until finally you reach the other side of it and you're able to transcend it. Now, in terms of being able to do something about it, typically as you begin to engage the self, you may be able to make some choices that are going to relieve aspects of that. So if it's a matter of feeling depressed because you're not working, well, maybe you'll find a source of income. You'll work for somebody or you'll, you know, provide a service to somebody that, or you sell something to somebody that will get you some income coming in. But this is your the executive functions of your metaconscious mind beginning to kick in and uh, begin to take charge of that. See, okay, well, this is the issue. Let's solve that problem. Now, in a deeper sense, when you get up to the wave of the present time, you're clearing a lot of issues up at that level. And you're saying, okay, instead of doing this, let's create this instead. 
you you see this a lot in the new age movement where people talk about you know creating their destiny creating their timeline and um so this is a higher order of the executive functions of the metaconscious mind and at that level you're able to look at the entire issue and begin to disassemble it and replace it with something else in your writings you you talk about the seven gifts of raja vipassana and you say that vipassana is an effective form of meditation that brings several benefits to the practitioner that uses it specifically it gives the ability to one objectively observe the contents of consciousness two process and release physical pain three open and release muscular armoring that's an interesting one for me there was a a gentleman wilhelm reich Mm -hmm. who developed a style of body work that targeted this muscular armoring he would train practitioners to just kind of physically hold points a lot of times like pressing down on the chest for uh, (laughs) you know way too long by most people's standards until basically something would happen so again this idea that stuff is held in the body and here you're calling it muscular armoring why do we have that well it's a protective mechanism we tend to wall off really deep issues because we want to function. If you're processing your issues all the time, you're not very functional. So the deeper aspect of the mind, the unconscious mind says, okay, we're going to allow this person to function, but we're going to have to keep this material out of awareness so that you know he or she is not overwhelmed by this material so the body basically becomes a storehouse for stuff we can't deal with yes well this is when we talk about the aspect of what we call stored karma so we say that there's an area of your experience that you are conscious it's filled with light you are functional it is integrated it is connected with a sense of self and a sense of you setting goals in your life and in moving forward and expressing your abilities and this is all non-conflicted versus an area of your mind that is filled with darkness and it's filled with conflict, it's chaotic, is uh, full of a lot of passions and, and unfulfilled desires and painful memories. If we're working with those deeper issues like we do in psychotherapy, then you know, you're not able to simply function, you're dealing with something else. And in cases of individuals where this unconscious mind begins to just take over they experience very severe forms of depression or or cognitive disorganization as we see in the schizophrenia or the the manic episodes we lose the faculty of judgment but we look to this being the reservoir of stored karma and again as you're able to 
work that out to con to process it and then actually to transform it through through more advanced meditation techniques you can actually begin to turn that darkness into light be so instead of it being outside of you of your functional area it becomes part of your functional area of the mind Okay, that's a pretty profound potential outcome by using these techniques. So let me finish going through the seven gifts of Raja Vipassana. That was number three, open and release muscular armoring. Number four is experience and release repressed emotions. We, we kind of already went into that quite a bit. Number five is gain insight into liminal and unconscious mental processes. Do you want to talk a little bit about what are liminal and unconscious mental processes. So if we think about this area of light and consciousness within us, this functional space, if you will, within a person, which everything is integrated, everything is working together in a coordinated way, allows you to work and to do all the things that you do in your life. When you move across the threshold into the unconscious, it's what we call the liminal zone of the mind. And the unconscious mind is all of this area of darkness inside of you going to the other side of that realm of darkness. And so this is a zone of the mind that we normally don't have much contact with. Or if we do have contact with it, you know, we try and push it away. We really don't want to deal with that. We don't want to feel those shameful feelings. We don't want to feel the feelings of inadequacy. We don't want to feel our deep frustration and and pain in life because we need to be functional we need to do our jobs we need to take care of our families we need to be there for the people in our lives so unless people invest in therapy when they've got stuff coming up that's bothering them they invest in therapy or they invest in some type of insightive method to begin to look at this material. They basically are keeping this out of consciousness to the best of their ability. You have to go all the way back to Freud when he said that, you know, certain elements in the unconscious mind come through, they slip out. And, uh, and some people, it's not just a little, a little leak here and there and some people it's like being inundated by a waterfall and they are completely immersed in that and it's very hard for them to use the functional part of their mind well said um so the last two steps or gifts are number six become aware of cravings negative passions such as anger lust greed attachment jealousy and egotism in the unconscious mind and let go of them Number seven, transcend the unconscious mind and transcend into higher states of awareness. And then you, you state the transcendence appears to be the end product of this type of meditation. Now, this process, these seven gifts, you have um, explored not just at one level of the mind, but you've actually developed a, a very extensive system for exploring and processing multiple aspects of the superconscious mind, the metaconscious mind, the subconscious mind, moving from 
um, something like the astral body and the subconscious mind. There's a Vipassana technique you have for that. Moving up into uh, levels aligned with the soul uh, and in the the upper reaches of the superconscious mind. So you're talking about what we call Raja Vipassana. And this divided up the the journey of self-discovery into three parts. And the first would be the processing of the level of the conscious mind. And then the level of the subconscious and metaconscious mind. And then the, which are part of this first part of the journey. And then the processing of the level of the soul up to the planetary and then moving to even higher levels in the transplanetary cosmic super cosmic and ultimately doing vipassana on the highest state of consciousness within which we call Satchitananda. and in each case the process is similar that you have a place where you're focusing the attention and then you begin to process you begin to where become aware of what is arising in the present time at that level what are you know what is you know what are you experiencing at that level and ultimately what are the karmic impressions that are holding that state of consciousness in place so if you do a full meditation on that and you go through all the different layers eventually you're going to transcend into even higher states of consciousness. So when you're moving through this process of simply notice what's arising in the present time, and you go to deeper and deeper layers of this process, and this can be done at multiple layers of the multiple levels of the mind. So George, you developed the Rajavipassana course as you've developed other courses, um, because someone asked for it. I know I, I've asked for things and like uh, your introduction to meditation course was one I think I evoked out of you. And in this case, uh, when you developed the Rajavipassana uh, course, it was as at the request of a mutual friend of ours in 1987, uh, Skip. And as usual, you over-delivered in, a, in ridiculous fashion. <laughs> <laughs> you know, someone probably heard about, I think Skip heard about Vipassana, thought it sounded cool. You know, God knows what his, uh, what his uh, impression of it was at that time. Maybe he was just following the breath. But he asked you to teach a Vipassana course. And instead of introducing a basic follow your breath, these are uh, what this is the way to monitor the thoughts this is a way to monitor the feelings. You delivered the gargantuan, definitive, over-the-top, advanced Vipassana, Raja Vipassana course. So we practiced that course for, we used to do uh, one technique for three weeks, Monday nights, I remember 1987 we started at Skip's house with a bunch of other uh people because he had a huge network. So we would meditate for three nights, three consecutive Monday nights on one technique, and then we would move on to the next technique. Um, and each time we would practice the, the, one, the preceding techniques briefly as we moved up the ladder on this um, basically Raja Yoga styled course. Because essentially, your I think your main focus has been 
Raja Yoga. What inspired you to create this course? And um, how did you choose each section? Because a lot of these sections of mind, the Thousand Petal Lotus Center, the Black Karmic Lotus Center, the Three Mountain Center, the Rainbow Bridge Center, these are different centers, specific centers that you help people identify um, in through meditation to process in this course. What brought this all together? Well, what happens for me is that I ask a question, what about this? And then my higher mind proceeds to give me guidance on this. I recall that I connected with uh, one of the spiritual teachers of the Mudra Ashram lineage, one of our spiritual guides. And he proceeded to say, take dictation. And I wrote it down what he showed me. And I meditated on each of those things so I could verify that those indeed were um, valid centers, that I wasn't creating this out of some creative part of my mind. And then I shared it. So that's the way my process works. I ask a question. I get guidance regarding it. I write it down. I edit it. And then I share it. And what do you think this course is... um... By learning to use Vipassana at higher centers of mind, why Vipassana? Why not just straight Raja Yoga, look at this thing, there it is, now you know it's there, you know how to get there, okay, end of story, we're done. Why introduce Vipassana into that Raja Yoga approach? Well, let me, um, let me talk about the dimensional levels of the mind, dimensional focus of what we call the attention. So the first levels, we can say, I can focus on a point. This is a focal point. I can say, okay, I can move my attention from the waking state of consciousness to the movement awareness center. I lock into that focal point. The next thing that happens is you start to become aware of that center. You start to be able to contemplate. You start to be able to become aware of that content that's at that level. The third state is when you begin to get a sense that this is a form or a body. We've talked about this in other podcasts, but this is where we find the idea of that this is a this is a shape or it's a form or it's a vehicle of consciousness where this is operating. Now in the fourth stage is you start to monitor what's arising in the present time. Now straight Raja Yoga meditation is going to focus on the focal point, maybe contemplating. So the first two aspects of it, whereas when you go deeper into the actual experience at that level, you're moving to that fourth stage where Vipassana takes place. So it is adding to the basic awareness that you get by doing Raja Yoga, dropping deeper into the vipassana state where you're having the experience in the present time so in other words you're moving from one dimension to two dimensions where you're kind of aware of you know content arising you're aware of this three dimensions you're aware of form fourth dimension you're aware of time and fifth dimension you're aware of a transcendent center that integrates that particular level 
of experience. I think it's valuable that people learn about mindfulness, which is when you collect your attention and you are present and learn about Vipassana, which is the ability to begin to process things in the present time to let them go and release them. This is a small subset of what we teach in integral meditation. If you had a handyman come to your house and you said, well, I need you to fix the window. It's jammed. I need you to replace that light bulb up there. And there's a, and my son made a hole in the wall. I need you to patch that. And the handyman smiled and said, yes, I have a hammer. You would feel very uncomfortable that he didn't have the proper tool to do the job. Vipassana is a wonderful tool, but it is only one tool of many that you need to work on the different issues that arise to do the work of transcendence and transformation. That's what we teach in integral meditation. And we do teach the rudiments of Vipassana, mindfulness and Vipassana in our intermediate course. And actually we do teach elements of that even in our introductory course, the Introduction to Meditation program. This is Lawrence Castilla. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Mind the Owner's Manual, a podcast series where I try to bring you in-depth discussion on meditation and consciousness. Please visit my website, mindtheownersmanual.com, and join the free member area to access additional tools and recordings on these topics. You can learn more about the Introduction to Meditation course that George mentioned during today's podcast at mindtheownersmanual.com. Have you wanted to learn how to meditate but weren't sure where to begin? Are your current meditations unfocused, repetitive, or boring? Are they not giving you the results that you want? People choose to learn to meditate for a variety of reasons. To have a higher frequency of peak performance and flow state experiences for improved ability to relax the body and relieve stress, to have a richer, more vivid dream life and sounder sleep, for enhanced clarity and mental concentration, to deepen the connection to their spirit, for stronger willpower and greater ability to control behavior and habits, to develop intuitive and psychic gifts, for better appreciation of religious teachings and living essential truths and values, to have mystic experiences with angels, spiritual guides, and God, for deeper insight and self-knowledge culminating in enlightenment, and for direct experience of the spirit and the soul. If who we really are and the potential we possess lies within, 
How do we access these parts of our being? I would like to share with you the most comprehensive Introduction to Meditation course available. The Introduction to Meditation course is not a basic meditation course. This course is designed to train your inner concentration and give you powerful inner landmarks so you can travel within in an oriented and directed manner. You will learn the fundamentals of meditation as the Introduction to Meditation course takes you step by step through the levels of your mind. You will learn to recognize the structures within your mind which will enable you to enhance your ability to control and focus your attention. You will explore each of the levels of the conscious, subconscious, and metaconscious mind. You will learn how to contact your soul and how to get guidance from your soul. You will gain a far greater scope of what meditation is and you will increase the depth of experience that meditation offers. To learn more about this course, please visit mindtheownersmanual.com.